Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. And we said a hero is a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Since the age we live in requires heroes, this is the age of heroes. This is the age for the church to be the church. One of the things we told you to do during this series is to write down two dreams at the top of your notes. He said you should take notes every time you come to church. Be honest with yourself. Write one that you're believing to come to pass. Then write one that you've given up on because you think it's too far gone or it's too big or something you think it can't come to pass in your life. And I got a letter this week from a member who had wrote down two dreams and one of them already came to pass. Huge dream for this individual. Huge dream for this individual. And then God bless their family on top of it. So I'm believing that same thing happens to you. So write those things down. We looked at Psalm 138 verse 8. says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. The word perfect means to perfect, to perform, to complete, to bring to an end. So he said, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will vindicate me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, and the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. We also looked at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The word perform means to fulfill further or completely, to accomplish, to do, to finish. So we are confident that no matter what God starts in us, he is able to finish it, bring it to a successful completion and conclusion. Amen? So let's look in the series. We've looked at many different people. We've looked at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We've looked at Daniel. We looked at Esther. We looked at Mordecai. We looked at Caleb and Joshua and David. We looked at so many different heroes in the Word. And now we're going to look at a few more. Isaiah 51, verse 1. Hearken to me. Listen, pay attention to me. Ye that follow after righteousness. How many of you follow after righteousness? Why? Because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ye that seek the Lord. How many of you seek the Lord? So he's talking to us. Say, he's talking to me. Say, he's talking to me. He says, look unto the rock which you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit which you are digged. So look back to where you came from. Look unto Abraham, your father. And unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. This scripture calls us who follow after righteousness, who follow the Lord, that Abraham and Sarah as our spiritual parents are as our ancestry. Romans 4.12 says, And the father of circumcision, the father of the Jews, to them who are not of the Jews only, but who also walk in the steps that are of faith of our father Abraham. So, Abraham is not just a father to the Jewish race only, but he's a father to all those who believe in God and walk in faith. And that's us this morning. Amen? Amen. So notice he said, I called Abraham and Sarah alone when it was just them, when they couldn't have kids, when it was just them. But I blessed him. Say, he blessed him. And then he said he increased them. What happened? Now Isaiah is prophesying to a nation that came into being because God blessed one couple. God increased one couple. 
Then he says in verse 3, for the Lord shall comfort or have compassion on Zion. Now, Zion, yes, is talking about physical Israel, but it's also talking about us as the church, for we have come unto Mount Zion, as Hebrew says. So the Lord shall have compassion on you. He will have compassion on all your waste places, all those things you fought in your life. It's too big for God to restore. It's too big for God to bring back up. God will have compassion on those areas, and he'll make your wilderness, your barren areas like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. So in the places that are low in your life, the places that are ruins, the places that are destroyed, the places that are barren, the blessing of the Lord will make it like Eden, and that place will be filled with joy, it'll be filled with laughter, it'll be filled with rejoicing, and it'll be filled with singing. That's what God wants to do for you. But let's follow this prophet's instruction and let's look at our father, Abraham. Because although it talks about all these great things about him in this verse, he didn't start there. So go to Genesis 12. He started as a man named Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. That's past tense. So God already told Abram what to do. But when he look at chapter 11, you'll see he wasn't immediately obedient. Because the instructions in chapter 12, verse 1 is, get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. So he said, leave where you are, leave your family behind, you and your wife, take what you have and go. But you look at chapter 11, it says, when Abraham left Ur, his father came with him. His nephew came with him. It's now a family affair, and God said, no, leave them there and you go. And then it says they stop in a city named Haran, and they stay there until his father dies. Now, God had already told him long before, I need you to leave this place. But Abraham let other things in his life, other decisions in his life, other influences delay his obedience. See, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Now, why did God tell Abram to leave Ur? It's not deep. It's because he didn't belong there. That wasn't where his destiny was. He says, I want you to go into Canaan. So eventually, Abram gets it together and obeys. God tells him in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. See, God doesn't have a problem with your name being great. He just wants to make your name great. He doesn't want you to make your name great. Because if you always are striving to make your name great, most likely you will compromise the law of love and dis corrupt your morals trying to make your name great, and you will step on and step over people to get to the top. When you go the way of God, he'll make your name great, and you won't compromise on love or faith, on walking in holiness. So God has no problem with exalting your name, making your name great, because if he's the one who does the exalting, everybody knows it's him and not you. He says, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. 
So he's giving Abraham and his seed this promise. This also applies to his physical seed today. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you curse Israel, you will be cursed. It's a law right here. So it wasn't just Abram. So you be careful what you do to that nation that God has called. That's another message. Verse 4, so Abram departed, finally. As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with them. Well, not even fully obedient. All right, so we're going to leave, leave the rest of the family, but he probably felt some type of obligation to take his nephew with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. See, the thing is, your best intentions and your best motives, if they're disobedient, they're still not God's best. See, Abram said, well, I probably should take care of him. I should probably do this. He is my family. He's got to come with me. Well, maybe it would have been better for Lot if he stayed where he was. You have to understand, you are not their God. It's not your job to fix everybody's problem in your family. You are not their Savior. You are not their Messiah. You are not their Superman. There comes a time when people have to make their own decisions. And y'all know I'm not talking about your five-year-old or your 15-year-old. I'm not talking about your children. They're a teenager, but they're still children. They're not saying amen because in the youth room anyway. They are still children. They're not your friends. Your child at this age does not need you as a friend. They need you as a parent. And they need you to be consistent. Consistent in your love, consistent in your discipline, consistent in your compassion and your care for them. You have to be consistent with the boundaries you set on their life. That's part of raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Part of that is getting them in church. Wednesday and Sunday. Wednesday and Sunday. And then also talking about the Word when you're at home. The greatest message they'll ever hear doesn't come from my mouth or the first lady's mouth or from the youth pastor or from our children's minister. It will come from your lifestyle. So you must live the word before them if you want them to grow in the word. So Abram finally obeys. Halfway. Takes a lot with them. And they go to the land of Canaan. He gets there, and there's a famine. So he leaves the place where he's supposed to be and goes down to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. But Abram's still in his beginning journey. He's still becoming the man of faith we read about in the Bible. So he runs to Egypt because Egypt had provision, Egypt had food, Egypt had money. He gets down there, he lies, gets himself in trouble, but God is still with him and gets him out of his trouble. And God is still blessing him. And you know that's true because some of you are in some stuff right now, and God is still working with you, he's still blessing you, and some things are still working out, not because you made it work, because God is merciful and he works some things out for you. And so that's happened to Abram, and look at chapter 13, verse 1. And he went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with them into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. Why? God had blessed him. Verse 5, and lot also was blessed. Why? There's some people around you who get blessed just because they're around you. Come on, the blessing can rub off. See, the company you work for should prosper just because you're there. Everyone else can be a heathen. Everyone else can be under the curse. But the blessing on you is greater. 
So if God has to keep a company afloat just to get seed in your hand that you can sow, he'll do it. And Lot also went with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And what happened? And there was strife between the employees of Abram and the employees of Lot. Remember, where strife is tolerated, soon will follow every evil work. So Abram went to Lot and says, we're family. We shouldn't be fighting. We shouldn't be getting our own reality TV show. So you choose where to go, and I'll pick the other path. So Lot shows the path that looked prosperous. He pointed his tent and everything towards Sodom and Gomorrah. We preached on that in June, so you can look at that message called Welcome to America to know about what happened to Lot. And Abram went the other direction. And it says, and God said to him after Lot had departed. See, sometimes you can't get the full revelation until you're fully in obedience. He said, now look to the north, south, east, and the west. Everything you see is yours. He got the fullness of the revelation once he fully obeyed God. So God increases him. God blesses him. Go to chapter 14. Partial obedience will limit your vision. Genesis 14, verse 18. We talked about this in June, but Lot gets in trouble. But Abram rescues Lot, takes his armed employees, and takes out five kings and all their armies. It's a supernatural victory. They come back from this victory. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God covenant elements like we had today. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which have delivered thy enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Most people, when they just read it, say, well, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. How many of you agree that God is the possessor of heaven and earth? But is Abram in covenant with God? So Abram is also the possessor of heaven and earth. Want another verse to prove it to you? Romans 4.13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to a seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So God made the promise to Abraham, this whole thing belongs to you. And in that promise to him, it came to us. This whole planet belongs to us. Everything. So if it all belongs to you and you renew your mind to that fact and you walk by faith, be led of the Holy Ghost, paying your rent is not even an issue. You begin to think bigger, you begin to think grander. I was having conversations with one of the people here and they're talking about a certain amount we're looking to do and, and we were just talking about things in the nation. They brought up, yep, the nation's $17 trillion in debt and I was about to say, I'm glad I don't have to pay that and then I stopped with well, Lord. If you give it to me, I could pay it. Imagine what happens if the church paid off the nation's debt. The nation has to do what the church says. America has to do what China says right now. Another message. And then Abram, after this victory, after this increase, he gave him tithe, which is 10%. Now, the thing is, people say, oh, tithing is under the law. 
The law's not even there yet. The law won't even get there for over 430 more years. And Abram gives tithes. I already took up the offering. No, not to get nervous. I'm not taking up another one. If you get convicted, there's a box out there that you can give. People won't know you're tithing. They might think you're being extra spiritual and sowing another seed. And so he gives him a tithe because he knows what God just did in his life. Yes, tithing is during law, but the tithing is also after the law because Hebrews says, now we who are in the church tithe to the one who lives forever. And who lives forever? Jesus. So he gives the tithe after this victory. And notice what God says to him in chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. That phrase in the Hebrew is also translated, I am your shield and I am your ever-increasing money supply. Because Abram made a statement to the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom says, give me the people and you can take all this money. Abram says, no, 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 I'm not going to let you be able to go back to your wicked city and say, you're the one who made me rich. Because I've lifted my hand to God. God is the one who will take care of me. He makes that statement. He ties and God says, yep, I am your shield and I am your ever increasing money supply. And he replies, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. It's good that you can increase me. It's good you give me all this stuff. But if I die, it's going to my chief employee. I don't have any children. Remember, by now, he's already in his 70s or his 80s. And most of you think, if you're 70 or 80, is now is no more time to think about kids. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and to lo, one born of my house is an heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your own heir. And he goes on to tell him, I will give you a child. And what happens? He believes God. It says it's accounted for him as righteousness. He gets in faith. He believes. But then it doesn't go as fast as he think it should. They both, Abraham and, Abram and Sarah, believed. But then, just like so many other people in this room, if it doesn't seem to happen quick enough, you try to come out with your own way. So they try to help God out. Have you ever tried to help God out? And got into a mess. So Sarah comes up with the idea and says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. This could be the way God does what he told you he's going to do. See Hagar, my maid? This young girl from Egypt, this young woman? I want you to marry her and have a kid by her. Let me get this right. You want me to sleep with her. You are telling me to sleep with her. And you understand it may take more than once to have a child. And you are okay with this. If I'm looking around, am I being punked? And then the scripture says, and Abram hearkened unto his wife. He did not put up a fight. Yes, ma'am. Let's go, Hagar. And she conceives and has a child named Ishmael. After Hagar knows she's pregnant, she starts looking at Sarai a different way. Mm, I guess it's you. 
And Sarah says, I see she's desp I'm despised in her eyes. So strife and drama begins. See, anytime you step out of the will of God, try to do things your way, you're bringing in strife and drama to your house. So the strife and drama is in the house, and God takes care of Ishmael because it's a child. You may have a child that got here by a different way that God didn't tell you to do, but God is not going to hold that child responsible. God will still bless that child. But 13 years later, chapter 17, the purpose of God looks like it's delayed because of Abram and Sarai's fleshliness and refusing to stay in faith. Faith and patience inherits the promise, not faith and impatience. So 13 years later, God appears to Abram when he's 90 years old and nine. He's 99 years old. He had a kid at 86, which seems to be a miracle already. But by 99, he's pretty much sure it ain't going to happen again. And look what God told him. He says, I am the almighty God. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Or Abram, it's time for you to grow up. We've been on this faith walk together for 24 years. It's time for you to act like it. Not like day one anymore. It's time for you to grow. He says, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, and as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I'll make thee exceeding fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So God goes on and tells them all these things. Tell them, tells them these great things. And says, you and Sarah will have a child. And it says, Abraham laughs. Thinking, can a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old have a child together? Imagine if that was on the news this week. A couple that had moved to the nursing home suddenly are pregnant with a child. Imagine the look of horror on their children's faces, on their grandchildren's faces, on their great-grandchildren's faces. Abraham laughs, but he chooses to believe God anyway. God changes his name from Abraham, Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So notice, you 99, you 90, you go into the market, people know who you are. Hey, Sarah, who's Sarah? Her name's Sarai. Imagine what people's thinking. Yes, Abraham. Abraham, father of many, who? They have lost their mind. They are senile. They've gotten too far. But they don't let anybody move them. They believe God. Romans 4 says, they did not consider their bodies, but they were strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
So every day they're waking up thanking God for their child, thanking God for their child, thanking God for their child. It seemed impossible for them to have a child now. It's been almost 100 years. Why should we have a child now? But they chose to believe the word from God. Not only did he change their name to match what he's going to do in their life. I was reading, I was in one class in a commentary, I was saying that not only did he change their name when it's Abraham and Sarah, God breathed himself into their identity. So while they're by themselves, weren't able to fulfill the call, God breathed himself into the identity to enable them to do what he called them to do. Abraham, Sarah, God appears to him. Tells them, about this time next year, you'll have a child. Sarah overhears it in a tent. She starts laughing, and God goes, what's so funny? I didn't laugh. Who, who are you talking about laughing? Say, no, you did laugh. So a year later, they have a child named Isaac, which means he laughs. God is faithful. He fulfills the promise. He gives them the child. Genesis 21, 1, and the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. This is the year of visitation God's going to do unto you as he has spoken. So go to chapter 22, verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 1. They have the child. Now imagine how blessed and spoiled this child's gonna be. You are the miracle child. Your dad is 100, your mama's 91, and they're rich, and you're the only one. Everything Isaac could ever think of or want is his. So chapter 22, verse one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or put Abraham to the test while he's in covenant with him. And said unto Abraham, and he says, Behold, here I am. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac. That phrase seems very familiar. Whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. Now you got to think, Abram, when he was Abram, he lied, was in and out of faith, he was wishy-washy, Ishmael projects. But God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your only begotten son. And Abraham says, okay. Isaac goes with him. He's done sacrifices before. His employees go with him and says, you guys stay here. Me and the lad will return again. Words of faith. Why? Abraham believed that God was able to do something he'd never seen him do before. He believed that if he sacrificed him, God was able to raise him from the dead because he knew God said, through Isaac will the promise come to pass. So Abraham had gone to this place of faith in God from going from Ishmael projects and trying to do things by himself. He has gone to a level where he completely trusts God. So they get to the mountain. Isaac has done sacrifices before. Hey, Dad, I see the wood, I see the rope, I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice? That's a very good question. And Abraham replies, God will provide himself a lamb. 
Second words of faith. So they get to the altar, and Abraham ties Isaac to the altar. Most commentary says Isaac is between 13 and 40 at this time. So no matter if you are 13 or 35, you can kick someone and stop them from tying you to the altar. No, you ain't going to sacrifice me. Sacrifice your old self. I ain't going out this way. So something must be said about the faith of Abraham, but something also must be said about the faith in the obedience of Isaac, because Isaac had to believe. You don't, get, you don't lay down on the altar and get sacrificed if you don't believe as well. And as Abraham lifts the knife to go plunge it into his only begotten son, a voice calls from heaven, Abraham, now I know that you believe, that you reverence God. Don't hurt the boy. There's a ram in the bush for you. Now, you might think, well, why would a God who is love tell Abraham to sacrifice his only begotten son? Abraham and God are in covenant. What one party is willing to do, the other party has to be willing to do. And Abraham had already spoke prophetically, God will provide a lamb. Right? The voice from heaven says, there is a ram. There's no lamb there. But in John chapter 1, John the Baptist standing before a crowd says, now behold the lamb of God. See, God needed somebody in the earth to believe him enough to be willing to give his son so he could legally send Jesus to die for you. So God provided a lamb. His name is Jesus, the son of God. He is the lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. He was able to come into the earth legally because one man dared to believe that God was able to raise somebody from the dead and he did it anyways. So Abraham, outside of Jesus, is one of the most important people in the Bible. He believed. So God's never going to ask anybody else to sacrifice a child. He just needed one person to be in faith so he could send Jesus. He's at this level of faith now. Chapter 24, verse 1, says that God blessed him in all things. Abraham gets to the end of his life. He's about to depart. He's 175 years old. Calls Isaac. And after Sarah died, Abraham remarried. And had more kids. A lot of them. Won't even go there today. So he gives inheritance to all of his kids. But chapter 25, verse 5, said he gave to Isaac all that he had. Wait a minute. How can you give all that you have if you're giving everybody something? That doesn't make sense. What did he give to Isaac the blessing? See, the title of today's message is Welcome to the Family Business. The blessing is the family business. So Abraham calls Isaac, gives him the blessing, and then that blessing goes to work in Isaac's life. Remember, Isaac's a man of faith, too. By the time Abraham died, Isaac, his kids are already teenagers. But before they were ever born, his wife, Rebecca, wasn't able to have ch children. So he prayed, and she conceived. 
And the pregnancy was going on a little different. So she went to pray because she's a woman of faith. She says, God, what's going on? Says, you're going to have twins. And they're fighting on the inside. Talk about sibling rivalry. They are fighting before they are born. So when they're born, the name Esau, which means red or hairy, he's the first one who comes out. But as he's coming out, the brother is grabbing his ankle. Rivalry. Some of y'all think your kids fight. They were born fighting. So he comes out of the womb, and he's named Jacob, which means heel grabber. How would you like that as a name? Something that happened when you were born, that's how you were named. Heel grabber, supplanter, or deceiver. How would you like that to be called over your life? Here's the deceiver. So they grow up. Esau and the deceiver. They grew up in a house of faith. They grew up hearing stories of God's faithfulness. But how many know even men and women of faith can mess it up? So Isaac's favorite was Esau because he was a man's man. He was a hunter. But Rebekah's favorite was Jacob. He was a homebody. He was a mama's boy. It says he was smooth. Why, he's a deceiver. He's got a good game. He can talk a good game. And so they grow up. Remember, they've been fighting since they were in the womb. And they fight throughout their life. And now that fight deepens and divides because their parents are playing favorites. Don't bring drama in your house by playing favorites between your children. Don't play them against each other. And so they grow. Esau's this mighty hunter. But one day he doesn't have good success in the field. He comes back. He's hungry. He says he's starving. Exaggerate much, Esau. He goes into Jacob's tent, and he's cooking some stew, a pot of beans. He says, give me some of that stew before I die of hunger. Jacob looks at him. Why should I give you what I made? You this big, bad hunter, why don't you go catch something? He says, give me to eat before I die of hunger. He says, well, it's going to cost you something. What do you want? Give me your birthright. Now, the birthright meant he got double the inheritance and had the priestly duties of the family. Jacob wanted it, but it wasn't given to him because he wasn't the oldest. He was just a few seconds behind because he was grabbing the heel. And Esau said he despised the birthright. He thought little of double the inheritance. He thought little of the priestly responsibilities. Fine, it's yours. And he bought the most expensive pot of beans in history. And then afterwards, he was mad. What happened? Esau settled for right now instead of waiting for what was right. Seems like some of y'all dating, you're giving up for Mr. Right now, and you're compromising your relationship with Mr. Right. And I saw this quote this week. Fellas, if you are not planning to marry her, why are you still dating here? You're messing with another man's future. So this divide between Esau and Jacob grows. It increases. Isaac's getting older. He thinks he's going to depart soon. So he wants to give the blessing to Esau like Abraham gave to him. But Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. So she comes up with a scheme. And you might think, well, it's the mother's fault. Jacob's just a teenager or a young man. He doesn't know better. No, no, no. 
He's probably about 60 or more at this point. He knows better. But he's slick, smooth talker, the deceiver. His mother comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. Isaac is about to bless your brother. I got Esau's clothes. Why does she have his clothes? I don't know. He, they're both in their 60s. They should be doing their own laundry. But she had Esau's clothes. She says, you put it on. You put on this goat hair because he's hairy and you smooth. Now, it seems like she's gone into planning this for a while. You put on his clothes, you're going to smell like him. Jacob's like, you mean I'm going to stink like him? Yes, you're going to smell like him. Change your voice. His voice is deeper. And they rehearse a script so that Jacob can trick Isaac to getting him the blessing. So they go in. Jacob says, Father, your son Esau's here. And he had sent Esau, Esau to catch a meal to make his favorite venison. And he brings it. He said, how, how could you get back so quickly? He says, the Lord, your God, granted me success. See, some people like to blame God for a lot of stuff in their life that was never God in the first place. And so he comes by. He says, come closer so I can smell you. Because he can't see at this point, but he thinks something's wrong. But he says, it must be Esau. So he gives him the blessing. How many of you try to trick yourself into getting what's supposed to be yours or should be yours spiritually, you're going to pay for it later. So Jacob deceives Isaac. Jacob leaves the tent. As soon as he gets back, Esau's there and says, Father, I'm here. Now you can bless me. And Isaac says, I've already given the blessing to your brother. He tricked me. Esau leaves the tent enraged. I'm going to kill him. As soon as my father is dead, I'm going to kill my brother. He's taken my birthright. Now he's got the blessing, and now he's going to die. Rebecca overhears this and says, Jacob, you got to run. I'm like, Mama, it was your plan in the first place. So he runs, flees to the house of Laban, lives there, sees Laban's daughter. Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel, the younger daughter. But the Bible says that Leah was tender-eyed and Rachel was beautiful and had a nice figure. Tender-eyed is the King James Version of saying she had a nice personality. <laughs> so Jacob, in no way, is attracted to Leah, but he's in love with Rachel. So Laban says, you know, I like you. You're a good guy. So you work for me seven years. And after those seven years, you can marry Rachel. Jacob thinks this is a good idea. And it says he was so in love that it says it went by like days for him. Oh. <laughs> so the seven years are completed. And he goes to Laban, give me my wife so I can go into her. Y'all know what that means in King James speak. So they throw this big wedding, this big party, and Laban gets Jacob drunk, sends him back to his tent. But instead of Rachel going, Leah goes. And he's so drunk, he doesn't even notice until he wakes up in the morning. Hi. Hi. Ah! <laughs> Runs out the tent, probably not even dressed. What did you do to me? The trickster just got tricked. 
He had sowed deception. Now deception came to him. And so he says, well, you can marry Rachel today too, but you got to work another seven years. Fine. So now Jacob's got two wives. Trouble. Before it was all said and done, he had four. Trouble, 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 trouble. People think, well, there's many different types of marriages in the Bible, but God didn't ordain all these other types of marriages. You should be able to read the Bible and see by example and by precept what you shouldn't do. You don't need the Holy Ghost to manifest you shouldn't marry four women. You should know that right now. Or you shouldn't get involved with a guy who already has multiple relationships at the same time. Oh, I'm going to be different. No, you're not. So he's in trouble. He's in this situation because he got tricked. Ends up having 13 kids. But God's with them. Jacob makes decisions to follow God. God gives him God ideas. He protects him, keeps Laban from hurting him further, and gives him a God idea and takes what was wicked Laban to give it all through Jacob through one God idea. So Jacob finally leaves Laban's house. The deceiver, the hill grabber, the supplanter, now he's in his 90s supposedly. He's got this huge family. He's blessed. For all his life, he's been pretending to be somebody else. He's pretended to be Esau. He's pretended to be the trickster, the deceiver, the smooth talker, being whoever he had to be to get ahead. That's just who he was. Never probably really fully realizing who he really was. And as he's going back to see Esau to see if Esau had forgiven him, one night after everybody leaves, he wrestles with his heavenly being. They fight, they wrestle in the morning, and as the heavenly being's leaving, he holds on and says, I won't let you go till you bless me. Notice, Jacob's, he still wants the blessing, but he's willing to pay whatever price he can to receive it. He's not trying to deceive or trick out of it. He's trying to get it the way he should. The guy blesses him and says, your name will no longer be trickster. It will no longer be deceiver. It will no longer be supplanter or heel grabber. Your name is now Israel which means prince with God. See, God is in the name-changing business. He's in the identity-changing business. So this deceiver, smooth talker, went from doing whatever he could to get ahead. Now he's a prince with God. Abram went for doing things for the fleshly way to get it, to being Abraham, the father of many nations, because God breathed his identity into that person. You could be in here today thinking about all the things you've been through, your entire past. Will God ever accept me? God will not only accept you in the beloved, but he'll change your identity because changing identities is also the family business. He says whoever comes to him, no longer will he turn away, but he'll receive you, he'll clean you up, he'll change you, and he'll make you into the person you always meant to be. So Jacob goes on. He's now Israel. So you think that from now on, God and the Scripture is going to call him, call him Israel. But when you look through the Scriptures, sometimes it calls him Jacob. Sometimes it calls him Israel. And when God appears to Moses 400 years later, he says to him, who should I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. Tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
sent you? Why not Israel? See, the thing is, God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of your past. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Hebrews says Jesus is not ashamed to be called your brother. So although you may have a past of being a trickster, of being a deceiver, God said, I am still going to identify with you in the middle of your struggle. I will be the God of your victory. I'll be your God in your struggle. I'll be your God when you mess up. I'm still the God of the backslider. I'm still married to you even if you mess up and jack up your life. I will be your God. I will stick with you, and I will take you to the place you were always meant to be. Doesn't matter where you are in here today, where you are in your life today, he wants to be your God, not just the God of these superheroes of faith like Abraham or Isaac. If you've been messing up your life like Jacob, God wants to receive you today, change your identity, and exalt you to the place he's always meant you to be. Why? The blood of Jesus has been shed. Changing identities is the family business. Faith is the family business. The blessing is the family business, so it's time for you to join the family business. You got time for me to tell you about one more person. Jacob had 13 kids, like we said. One girl, 12 boys. The second youngest boy is named Joseph, and Jacob had learned this from Isaac and Rebekah, playing favorites. His favorite was Joseph, the second youngest boy. And he showed such favoritism to him that all his brothers hated him. The youngest one wasn't born yet, but they hated him. Now, strong dislike is bad in a household, but hate is a whole nother plan. So Jacob would send him, go spy on his brothers, go tell me what your brothers are doing. So his brothers see him one day. And Joseph is young, he's 17. You know, how many of those 17-year-olds can get excited about their future but have no wisdom on how to live it and still don't know how to keep their mouth shut? And so God gives him a dream, shows him his future, and he tells him, all your brothers, your whole family will bow down before you. So he's excited, he wakes up, hey, guess what? His brothers already hate him. It is multiplying. So one day they see him walking in the field. This is our chance to get rid of him. Talk about family drama. Remember, it didn't just start that generation. It's been building for generations because people haven't been doing it the way God told them to. So they said, let's kill him. And all the other brothers except one agreed. One brother said, I'll go with this plan so I can save him and take him back to dad later. So they said, well, let's kill him. He's like, no, let's throw him in a pit. Okay, let's throw him in the pit. So they take their 17-year-old little brother, dump him in the pit. Come on, guys, it's not funny anymore. Come on, guys. And so they leave him. So the older brother plans to go back and come get him later. But on his way back, he looks in the hole, and Joseph no longer there. They sold their brother into slavery. Imagine Joseph thinking his brothers are finally going to let him out the hole. He sees a rope coming down. Very funny, guys. Gets out. Now he's gone from the favorite child to being a slave. It's a long walk or a long drive to Egypt, to a land he doesn't know, a language he doesn't speak. He was brilliant, he was educated, but that doesn't matter anymore. Now he's a slave. 
he goes through the embarrassment of being sold. Goes through the embarrassment of being bought. And now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. But it says the Lord was with him. See, it doesn't matter what people call you. It doesn't matter what your condition in life is right now. If the Lord is with you, everything is subject to change. So he went from being this new slave in this Egyptian commander's house to where it says he was put on top of everything for the Lord was with him. He was a slave, but now he's running this huge estate. So the only decision Potiphar made was what he had to eat. Joseph is now in charge. He's probably thinking, am I still in late teen years now, early 20s? Well, let's turn around. I'm in another land. They call me a slave. But hey, I'm in charge. Life seems to be turning around. Remember, he could be holding on to the bitterness of what his brothers did to him. The bitterness of how his family treated him. Could be bitter at those who actually bought him and sold him. But the Lord is with him. He had to let those things go. And so Potiphar had a wife. And she looked at Joseph and said he looked good. And she's used to getting whatever she wants. So it says every single day she made a pass at Joseph. Hey, come sleep with me. Potiphar's gone. Every day. He's a teenager or in his early 20s. You know what his flesh is saying. But he says, how could I sin against God? And how can I sin against my master? Notice this integrity this man had, even though he was put in a horrible situation. She did it every single day. He said no every single day. And then one day she had evacuated the house, says, I'm going to get him now. So Joseph is doing his duties. She goes by, sees him, grabs him by the clothes. Whew. Says, now come sleep with me. And he runs away. She holds onto his clothes, so he flees the house naked, trying to keep his integrity intact. The final embarrassment has hit her heart. So she yells and said, this Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to rape me. So no one questions her word. He's thrown in prison. He's labeled a sex offender, thrown into a political prison not to be heard from again, or so they thought. But it says, and the Lord was with them. See, you can go through things, but the Lord can still be with you. And so these two political prisoners had a dream, and Joseph interprets it. He says, when you get out of here, don't forget about me. They forgot about him. So Joseph is stuck in prison. He's a prisoner. How many know prisoners don't get to decide what they do? But it says Joseph was put in top in charge of the prison. So he goes in and out of his cell whenever he wants. Why? The Lord is with him. He's forgotten about in jail. He's been lied on, labeled a sex offender, sold as a slave, hated by his brothers. He's in his 20s, going through all this drama, going through all this mess. At any point, he could have given up, says, forget it. It's not worth sticking with God anymore. What has sticking with God got me so far? But he never let go of hope, of the dream God gave him all those years ago. His deliverance was coming. When he first got in prison, he was two years away from his dreams coming to pass, but he didn't know it. At one point, he was six months away, but he didn't know it. 
At one point, he was one week away, but didn't know it. He had gone from the pit to the prison. He didn't realize he was about to go to the palace. He couldn't see that yet. So at any point, can give up. One day, he was one day away. He could have given up faith, given up hope, given up on his dreams. There's at one point, he was one hour away, 10 minutes away. And Pharaoh has a dream. Calls all of his advisors. Can someone interpret the dream? And no one knew what it meant. And one of the guys who was a political prisoner a couple years ago says, King, this is my bad. This is guy in prison who was lied on, but he can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream and the other guys and everything he said came to pass. He should be able to help you. One minute away from the dream coming to pass, he could have given up. But here comes these footsteps down the hall into the prison. And a guard says, clean yourself up. Pharaoh the king wants to see you. He's 30 now. He goes before the king. He tells him the dream. And Joseph says, God has given me the interpretation. He tells him what it means. He says, seven years of famine are coming. But before then, there'll be seven years of plenty. What you should do is take from the years of plenty, save it up so the famine won't hurt you. And Pharaoh looks at this prisoner, this labeled sex offender, this slave, this hated by his brothers, disregarded by his family, this man who's been through so much by the age of 30, and says, who is smarter than you? You now will be in charge of the empire, second only in the throne to me. And it says later that Joseph, although he was 30, became a father to Pharaoh. So Joseph is now running the strongest empire in the world. The dream is coming to pass for a man who did not let go of his dreams, did not let go of hope, did not let go of faith, didn't get mired in bitterness. He let all those things go and followed God. He saves 20% in the years of plenty. The famine comes, but Egypt is taken care because one man stuck with the blessing route. Everywhere else is in a famine. His brothers run out of money, run out of, well, they run out of food. They had some money left. So they go down to Egypt to buy food. They did not know that Joseph is the prime minister. Joseph sees them. He automatically recognizes them. Wouldn't you? You know, their faces are branded in your head for the rest of forever. He could have said, this is the time to get him back. He could have said the guards, kill them all. Every single one. But he didn't. He forgives them. He eventually reveals who he is. Says, go get the rest of the family. Is my dad still alive? Is my little brother alive? Tell them to come. Go get your wives and all your kids. I'm going to take care of all of you. And then it gets to Genesis 50, verse 20, because they're still afraid for their lives, thinking this can only last so long before Joseph has a bad day and decides to kill us. And he says, what you meant for evil, God turned it to good to save many people alive. So although you meant to hurt me, 
Although you meant to harm me, God saw your plans and he turned them for my good, for he will perfect that which concerns me. Although you threw your best shot, although you thought I was dead, although you didn't like me, although you hated me, although I was a slave, although people lied on me, although people forgot about me, the Lord will perfect which concerns me. He brought me to the place he promised me, not just for me, not just for my family, but the whole empire was preserved because one man decided to be a hero, decided to walk in faith, walk in the blessing, have the identity God gave him, and he saved many alive because saving many alive is the family business. So you need to get involved in the family business. You need to stay in faith. You need to stay in the blessing. You need to be involved in getting many people saved. Why? This is the family business, and the time is short, and God wants to use you as a hero. He wants to use you as an agent of the blessing. He wants to bless you so much that it flows into other people's life, and he wants to use you to take care of that family that didn't think you were good enough, that didn't think you were smart enough, that didn't think you had any promise or potential, but God will put his blessing on your life, and you'll go back to them, and then they'll get saved. They'll get filled with the Holy Ghost, and they'll change. You'll go into your community. You'll bless neighborhoods and nations because you decide to stick with God's way and live God, live the way God told you to live. Nothing is impossible with God. The blessing went from Abraham and enriched him and everything went to Isaac. It said the Philistines, entire nation were jealous of him and went to Jacob. It preserved him. It protected him. It vindicated him. Then it went to Joseph. It's growing every single generation and the blessing on one man preserved an empire. What can the blessing do for your life today? Galatians 3 says that curse is every man that hangs on the tree. That Jesus was made the curse. He hung on the tree, hung on the cross. Verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, that blessing belongs to you. That blessing is stronger than any curse. Doesn't matter what Satan throws your way. Doesn't matter what witch or warlock throws your way. Doesn't matter what hater throws your way. That blessing is stronger. That blessing is greater. That blessing is mightier. And this nation needs to see the blessing of the Lord. Because in the midst of judgment, God will remember mercy. And he'll use his blessed people to deliver a nation. This nation needs to be delivered. This nation needs to turn. And it's going to come when the church acts like the church. You have to get involved in the family business. You have to be like Abraham, not consider your body, not consider your lifestyle, not consider your education, not consider everything that should be considered in the natural. You have to consider faith in God. For with God, all things are possible, and you are with God. Stand to your feet. Because if he did it for Abraham, if he did it for Isaac, if he did it for Jacob, he's already done it for us. It's done. So you can boldly proclaim every morning he will perfect 
that which concerns me. He will vindicate me. He will turn things around for me. You can hold on to the promise because if he could do it for them, he can do it for you. So don't be discouraged. As we said in July, be a prisoner of hope, a prisoner of expectation. Someone said hope is like having only positive expectations. doesn't matter what you've been through. God can turn it around for you. So everyone close your eyes for a second. Whatever situation that you've been saying is impossible, God can't fix it. This dream is too hard. This assignment's too hard. I've been through too much. Give it to God right now. Cast it upon him right now. Release it. And then say, God, I choose to trust you. If you did it for Abraham, if you did it for Isaac, if you did it for Jacob, you've already done it for me. Say, I choose to trust God. God can use me. God will use me. And as a result, it'll save many alive. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Also, if you want to support the ministry financially, you can go to FCCGA.com and follow the directions there. If you want more about the subject of heroes that we've been talking about in this broadcast, go onto iTunes or onto Amazon Kindle and download Biblical Heroes Volume 1. Have an amazing day.